So, I'm going to read to us from Matthew's Gospel. The words are going to come up on the screen in Cantonese, and um, I'm not going to speak them in Cantonese, so you'll hear them in English. <clears throat> so this is from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> You're not so confident about that one this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, amen. Um, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it achieves that for which you purpose it before it returns to you. Thank you that it pierces between bone and marrow. Thank you that it has the truth which sets us free. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to hear you, to see you, to know you, the one who is full of grace and truth, sent from the Father. Amen. Last weekend's uh, Jubilee was a celebration of an extraordinary monarch, Queen Elizabeth II. There was an unspoken sense um, that this may be her last Jubilee. This is a kingdom, a united kingdom, which passes its crown from one monarch to another. The history books help us to understand that one day, this kingdom will not just pass from one monarch to another, but it will also pass. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. The Bible tells us that one kingdom will remain, the kingdom of God, whose king is and forever will be Jesus. That should produce a few more smiles on the end of it. (laughs) the king is Jesus. It was him who started the kingdom 2,000 years ago. It's a kingdom without borders and without passports, yet it can be seen clearly when the rule and reign of God breaks into the lives of individuals and communities. 
In the 1830s, in what was known as a city, apparently you only need 350 people to be a part of a city in those days, in a place called Brockweir on the, um, on the River, um, River Wye, not the River Tyne, that's another part of the country. Um, this, this city was a city of refuge for persons of desperate and lawless character. Sounds like the kind of place that you'd like to go. There were seven inns for 350 people. And the Moravians, um, uh, those of, of the kind of the spiritual heritage of Wesley and Whitfield, um, they were invited to move in from Bristol. And so they planted a church, and within a couple of decades, and most of the inns were closed, and there was a breakout of faith. Historians attribute on a larger scale the absence of an English revolution um, in the aftermath of the French to the preaching of Wesley and Whitfield. When the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign breaks into the lives of individuals, it transforms communities and those communities transform societies. But the jarring that you're experiencing as you're hearing that now is that it's difficult for us to hear that, mainly because we're living in an era when Christianity in the West is moving from mainstream to minority. We're in the days of declining church attendance. How many Christians were in your year group when you were at secondary school? And then we think about the youth down at the Gloucester Road and think how many Christians there are in their year group at school. Just in a generation, I would hazard a guess that the average has probably dropped from about five to, to one or two. Some of them, they may be the only Christians in their year group at all. We're in the minority, about 5% of the country at, at most will be in church this morning. Instead of wishing things were different, as they clearly are in Kenya and Korea, we now have to learn to live as a minority. And the temptation is to huddle and to hide, but a kingdom minority doesn't do that. A kingdom minority follows its king, Jesus, and that's why we here at BNA place an emphasis on following Jesus together and making a difference in the world. How do we do that? Well, how do we do that here is we encourage everyone not just to come on Sunday, but to get involved in a community. We call them little churches. And we've heard about one of those from Alex just now. But not just to join in, but to be participating with God's kingdom, to allow his rule and his reign to be at work in us, in our lives, where the battle of sin and the world and evil rages with the battle, with, with the alternate side, which is the side that's ultimately going to win, the side of the kingdom of God. How do we do that practically? At BNA, we talk about four practices. We've been introducing those again over the last few months. So live a life of prayer, love others as family, give your life away. Give your life away, I didn't spell that correctly, sorry. Give your life away and go and share. And, and we attach to those some practices that we think are really healthy for maturing as Christians. So daily prayer, weekly church, monthly tithe, always ready. And that's not rocket science, nor is it anything new. If you go back through 2,000 years of the church, you'll find when it's healthiest, 
Christians have been praying daily. They've been going to church weekly. And now if you can't get to church on a Sunday, if you happen to be away, you can log on online and do it. Um, And I'd encourage you to think about that. When we were away in January as a family, um, we were with Nikki's family, and and we we actually did the Youth Alpha session because that was the session that Jacob was going to be doing that Sunday. Uh, And so wherever you are on a Sunday, think about what it means for you to, to do church with others that day. Give a monthly tithe. I'm going to talk about that this morning and what that means, but that's a kind of a a core practice of Christians since the beginning. And go, always being ready to share the faith that we have. So this is nothing new. In the last few weeks, we've been thinking about live and love. And as I said, today we're going to go for give. I'm aware that some of you here might not be Christians. So just if you can allow me for a moment to speak to you. Um, you might be a visitor um, or a long-term inquirer. And when when you hear me talking about a monthly tithe, you might not even know what that means, or you might know what that means, and you're kind of thinking, how can I duck and cover um, for the next wee while? Um, But I I just want to see if we can establish some common ground with each other. So just as there's a desire for, for you to connect with something spiritual and to feel a part of something bigger, so there's a desire for you to be generous. And we might debate where that comes from. You might want to say that's the universe, or or a God who doesn't have a name. Um, But whether we can agree on that or not, um, you can still give to this church uh, and make a difference. So our little churches make a difference in the world. In the last week, 100 meals were shared Um, with others, um, with refugees, with ex-offenders, and with the homeless and the vulnerably housed and the loneless. And and we didn't just serve those two people, we sat amongst them as they ate. We gave um, food parcels to 30 households. One dad said um, this week, "Um, you do not know what difference this is going to make in my life. And he said it through tears. And that's not a preacher's exaggeration. That actually happened. So, um, and and then we've hosted language classes um, for people from Hong Kong in our building. And and we're going to host more language classes for people from Ukraine. So we have common ground because even if you don't believe in Jesus, I think we can agree that poverty isn't good. And we can agree that isolation isn't good. Can't we? Yeah. So, so giving um, here, uh, you can give towards a place that is making a difference. If we, if we just think about what God has done in the life of this church and how he's involved you in the last few years, um, in 2019, we spent £5,000, roughly speaking, on our um, social justice through our little churches. In 2020, 12,000. In 2021, 32,000. And in 2022, it's kind of projected around about 52,000. Anyone involved in finance and PCC has just kind of taken a little bit of a ooh, um, moment there. Um, but that's the Ukraine Hub, Love Christmas, and all our other little churches. Uh, and so giving to BNA, you can give towards that, even if you wouldn't necessarily agree with what we pray and what we say about Jesus. And there is something distinctive, I would say, about the way that we don't serve two people. We do things alongside people. We are with, not to. 
that does genuinely make a difference. To everyone else, um, he takes a look at his watch, I would want to say thank you. At Love Christmas, we raised £23,000 in a month. For the Ukraine Hub, we raised £8,000 in three weeks. And um, with other donations and match funding, that's going to lead us to £20,000 that we'll have raised for the ministry to Ukrainian refugees. That is amazing. My friend Andy Street, um, who is in charge of Christian action across all the churches in Bristol, if he were here to say, he, if he were here today, he would say he is blown away by your generosity. It is amazing. So thank you. Thank you for all that you have given. But it's not a time to be complacent. I believe the Lord is saying something to us through today's passage from Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's easy to think about our response to God with our money as something that we do. The giving talk becomes the equivalent of that moment when you go out for a meal with friends and um, somebody said, shall we just split the bill? Um, or should we pay for what we all ate? And you have that awkward moment. Has anyone else had that? Yeah? And, 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 and whilst everyone else thinks, well, how can we get out of the restaurant without friends falling out? When the vicar steps up to talk about preaching, everyone's thinking, how can we get out of here with our bank account intact? There's three things that this passage reminds us that I just want to share with us this morning. Firstly, Seek first the kingdom. Seek first. The kingdom, the rule and the reign of God is important. It's the first thing. Even more, we don't need to worry because he's the Lord of everything. Everything we have is his. The lie we can fall into believing is that the church is his and the world is ours. The church is his and the world is ours. So we give from what we have to his church. If anything, it should be the other way round. If anything, it should be the other way round. And it's good for us to remember a prayer that um, people would have said for decades in this church. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the splendor, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours, all things come from you, and of your own do we give you. Everything is his. Seek first the kingdom. Everything is his. And then his righteousness. The kingdom is lived not in our righteousness, <clears throat> but in his righteousness. The kingdom is lived not in our righteousness, but in his righteousness, his holiness, his Holy Spirit empowering us. So everything is his, and the power to do it is his. So your house, your flat, your paycheck, your job, your debt, your mistakes, it's all his. He's going to take care of it. And he invites you to step into seeking his kingdom, not in your own strength, but in his righteousness, in his strength. There is a righteousness that has come, as Paul says to the church in Romans, that is apart from the law. There is a way of living that is not about your own strength. It is about his Holy Spirit 
and his Holy Spirit enabling us to live in a way that matches what he asks us to do in his kingdom. And your best way to steward what he has given you is not in your strength, but his. So seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And and the third thing I want to say, which is not in the text, but it is in the text, which is that Jesus spoke this word to a community. And we have to be very careful because we as Western individualists would look at this and see this as something that we have to do by ourselves. But Jesus was speaking this clearly to form a community of believers who would do this together, not separately. And so our attempts at seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is something that we do together with one another. That's why we say it's about following Jesus together. So I'm I'm just going to share with you, I'm going to bring you into a bit of my story um, so that we can do this together. Um, I grew up with an understanding that 5% of... um, the income that I received should go to the church. That's the typical Church of England um, approach. And and then I came to reading the Bible in adulthood and saw that in the Old Testament, the tithe, so giving away 10% of the income, was what sustained the nation um, uh, when it had... um, Well, I'm not good enough to do Old Testament theology in in a short sentence, but it sustained the nation, sustained its capacity for worship. Okay, So the Levites were sustained by the gifts of the others. So the tithe is, was important in the Old Testament. And the classic mistake that's made is that because the tithe isn't really mentioned in the New Testament, people say, well, that doesn't count. But actually, if you go to the early church, they sell their possessions and give everything that they have to a common purse and to the poor. So instead of it being um, a tithe and then it's downgraded to 5%, um, actually what happens in the New Testament is it's a tithe and then we're invited to put everything into the mix. So when I read that, I was deeply challenged because I wasn't giving a monthly tithe. In fact, when I read it, um, Nikki and I were in a reasonable amount of debt and needed to get ourselves out of that debt. The The monthly tithe, I began to see, was not a sign of salvation, but a mark of maturity. Um, Paul, when he writes to um, the churches, often refers to the the difference between um, eating milk and eating, drinking milk and eating meat. And you can take that concept and map that onto Christian maturity and see that actually we all begin as babies and we grow into infants and then adolescents and adults as disciples. And I found myself at a time where I was actually an adult in prayer, I like to think, but an early adolescent in giving, possibly even a late infant. And it was with, in conversations with Wayne and Wendy um, where I began to realize that actually what was going on needed to change and I needed to grow into maturity. And so... Nikki and I made a decision that we were going to give 10% of our income. And then um, we were challenged because then somebody gave us some money and we thought, well, are we going to keep all of that or are we going to give 10% of it away? 
Um, and so we gave 10% of it away. And then we had another conversation with Wayne and Wendy a couple of years later where they pointed out that as clergy, we don't have to pay for our accommodation. So whereas you pay for a, a mortgage or you pay for your rent, um, that doesn't happen for us because we have a stipend. And they told us that, <clears throat> that they calculate, and I'm not saying this to brag or to, I'm just, it's just you've got to get underneath into the detail. Um, uh, they, they told us that they calculate what they would earn if, if you costed our accommodation. And, and so we thought, well, we've got to raise our giving again. Actually, if it's going to be truly 10%, we've got to do that. Um, because we can't lead you where we're not prepared to go ourselves. And so we had to do that. And it hurt. <laughs> it, it hurt. Um, but actually, it was good and freeing. Now, and it's something that we're still traveling in. And if, if you know anything about our story, you know that every time we come to decisions like that, um, it, it's like um, a point of weakness for us. Uh, and we, know, we need to know God's grace in it. Now, that's why I want to say there's a couple of disclaimers on this. The, the first is, if you're sitting here and you're in debt, please um, come and find Wayne or myself, and we will discreetly point you in the direction of people who can help. There's a really good organization called Christians Against Poverty who can help people to work their way out of debt. There is, um, I, I have been in more debt than I'm comfortable admitting in a public space like this. Um, uh, but I, I would want you to know that there is help and there is life and there is freedom. The other thing I'd want to say is I know that this is really complicated for people coming from Hong Kong where you don't have an income um, and you paid your tithe on what you've already earned, and now you find yourself in another congregation on, in another part of the world, um, not earning because you're living off what you previously earned and you previously paid a tithe on, it, tithe on it. So am I asking you to pay a tithe on what you're currently living off when you've already paid a tithe on it? I don't know what the answer is to that, but I know that the Holy Spirit does. So I would encourage you, when you're in conversation with one another, to talk about what that means and to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to you so that you can live in freedom and not under a yoke of guilt, because that's not what we want for you. Okay? So those are the two disclaimers, debt and a different circumstance. I want to encourage us all, um, because ultimately, um, there will be a time when the queen is no longer with us. Um, she will go to be with Jesus. And, and we live for another kingdom. We won't live with the uncertainty of what happens next because we know ultimately what is happening next because we can see it with our eyes now. And the invitation for us all right now is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to do that together. So my encouragement to you is, as we move into a time when we're going to share with one another in our little churches, is to think about these questions. They're going to come up on the screen now. Um, <clears throat> where do you see the kingdom of God breaking in? What are you learning about giving? And where, what do you need God's power to do? And, and to do that together, it, it's a brave thing to be able to share with one another um, what's going on for you and the challenges that you face. But I as I'm testifying right now, doing that with others is freeing. So, let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and its power. Thank you that everything we have is yours. Would you help us um, to know what it means to follow you and to be generous? Amen.